Well, summer's almost over. I guess it's been pretty good. Just been hanging out with my friends. Oh, we won our Little League Championship. I was MVP. Don't mean to brag, but 57 home runs, only one strikeout. Every summer goes by faster. It's kind of depressing, but I guess I'm ready to go back. A lot of people have been giving me a hard time lately, saying I'm too big for t-ball, too big for kindergarten, pushing me to graduate. I almost did it once a few years back. I heard that first graders got to write in cursive. Sounded pretty cool. But in the end, I just couldn't do it. I have my iPhone anyway. My kids are a little embarrassed that they're further along than I am. Hey, girls. But I figure when it's time to go to first grade, I'll know it. It'll be obvious. The heavens will part, a voice will thunder, Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Eh, not thundery enough. One, two, three, go, go, Bob! If I graduate kindergarten, then I won't be eligible for t-ball. And I'm the man out here, a slugger, a star, and the only player on the team that hasn't had an accident in his baseball pants. Out there, who knows? I'm just not feeling it, you know? I don't feel called. I don't feel called to make myself uncomfortable. I don't feel called to no more summer breaks. I don't feel called to dad's pitch. Why have somebody throw a rock-hard baseball at me when I can hit it off of a tee? You know what I'm saying? Why do something that's hard when you can do something that's easy? I mean, we're undefeated. Why mess that up? It just doesn't make sense. But I guess some people don't get it. I guess some people just aren't smart enough to figure out how to stay comfortable, how to make life easy. It's kind of sad. I feel sorry for them. Faith. Faith to move mountains. We're in part five in our series looking at the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 11. Uh, it's an interesting book as we kind of go through the hall, hall of Fame of Faith. I guess you could say, in honor of veterans, this is the Veterans Hall of Fame. These are the people that went into conflict, that went into battle, and some of them were victorious. But all of them were faithful, every one of them. Today, we're going to look at how faith can equip us to live life. Faith can operate in the life of any person who would dare to listen to God's Word and surrender to God's will. Today, we look at Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40, as we close out this great chapter in the Bible. We're going to look at these words under the heading, how faith equips us. You follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these words this morning. And what more shall I say? Do I have time to tell about, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
Women received back from the dead, raised their dead, raised alive again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Three things out of this passage. Faith equips us to do great things. Verse 32 emphasizes some heroes of the faith. That, that did great things. And just like the writer of Hebrews did not have time uh, to mention them, I do not know why he had time, didn't have time. Maybe he got to the end of his little papyrus and, and he said, oh, I'm running out of, uh, of stuff here. I, I've got to reduce this. Uh, so I don't have time to go into all these individuals mentioned in verse 32. But let me just mention three of them for the sake of, to understand uh, what, what's going on here. The first one we need to look at is a man by the name of Gideon. The story of Gideon takes place in Judges chapter 7. Gideon was given the call of God to destroy the Midianites. And the Midianites had an army of 135,000 people. But Gideon only had 32,000 people. The problem is Gideon had too many men. I, I don't get it. It looks like to me 32,000 is 135. I don't think he had enough men to begin with. But God says, Gideon, you got too many men. We got to weed some of these people out. So God began weeding them out, and it got down to 300 men. I know what you're saying. Say, what? 300? That's impossible. What in the world? You see, God wanted to do something with Gideon that showed faith. He wanted to do something through Gideon, and Gideon had to have faith that this was going to happen. And the thing that's interesting about this uh, they weren't chosen because they were the best fighters. They weren't chosen because they were the, the, the strongest. They weren't chosen because they were the most accurate. They were chosen by the way they drank water. I mean, that does not make any sense. You never know who's looking at you when you drink out of the water fountain. You never know. You might be chosen because of your skill as a water fountain drinker. All right? Yeah, you never know. These men were chosen because of that. I know it doesn't make much sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. It took a lot of faith for Gideon to even step out that way. And then God tells Gideon, okay, to hear, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these 300 men and I want you to surround the entire camp of the Midianites. 300 men to surround the camp of 135,000. Doesn't make sense to me. That would be kind of like us trying to form a prayer circle hand-in-hand hand around our church facilities on Wednesday night with the prayer people that come. It's impossible. Uh, it just could not happen. And then Gideon's, God told Gideon, okay, Gideon, now give out the weapons. Give out the weapons we're going to use. And here's the weapons. A torch, a pitcher, and a trumpet. Say, What? What, what's he talking about here? How in the world are we going to fight 135,000 men with trumpets, with torches, and with pitchers? That's what they did. And God said, okay, Gideon, here's what you're going to do. You're going to circle around the camp, and then you're going to blow your trumpets, you're going to break your pitchers, and then you're going to light your torches, 
and all 135,000 people would descend upon themselves and kill one another. I know. Say, what? This is impossible. And so what did they do? They surrounded the camp. They blew their trumpets. They broke their pictures, and they lit their torches. And then all the Midianites in the camp began killing one another. As a matter of fact, 120,000 Midianites killed one another. The other 15,000 ran away in fear. That's the story of Gideon. It took a lot of faith for Gideon to step out and believe what God said. He took God in his word. He said, I believe that God can do this, and I'm going to do something that looks totally ridiculous, looks totally crazy, is totally outrageous, but I got faith in God, and I believe God can accomplish it. <clears throat> he believed God. He had faith in what God asked him to do. And because of that, he tackled what no one else would tackle. You see, his faith equipped him to do great things. His faith equipped him to do great things. The next person I want to look at is a man by the name of Samson. Samson's story appears in Judges chapter 13, verses 16. I see they're coming out with a new movie in January of next year on Samson. I hope it's a good movie. I hope it's not one of those cheesy ones, you know, they make with bad special effects. I hope they really do a good job of depicting the biblical Samson. Samson's story in book Judges is the longest uh, of all the judges, and it, 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 it shows great exploits of strength uh, from Samson. Uh, he knew he was strong, but he also knew that his strength came from God. He knew that God was the source of his strength. Judges chapter 13 verse 5 says that God had anointed or God had called. Samson knew that God had called him to conquer the Philistines. He believed that God had a purpose. He believed that God had a task for him. And by faith, he stepped out to be the judge that God called him to be at that time. In one particular story, it says that uh, Samson captured 300 foxes. I do not know how he did that. Uh, those things are pretty sly. Uh, he captured 300 foxes. Then he took them and tied their tails together, two of them, their tails together. Then he tied a torch to their tails and turned them loose into the fields of the Philistines. And it burned all their crops. Well, the Philistines were a little ticked off about that. So they began to pursue him and chase him. And it says that when they pursued him, that he, it, the word it said he slaughtered many of them. And then they retreated. Well, they came back another time to try to get him. And they came at him, and it says that he killed a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. One thousand men. One guy killed one thousand men. I mean, this guy was the incredible hulk, but he was real. He was a real guy. Or maybe some of you don't know who the Hulk is. He was Superman, all right? But he was real. He wasn't a comic book character. This was a real hero of the faith. He did that. And even after he lost his eyesight, even with that debacle that he had with Delilah, that'll, that'll preach, man, debacle, de, debacle with Delilah. Uh, I like that. I'll have to think about that one. Even after he lost his eyesight with that, he still believed God. He still had faith. And the Bible says that he was taken captive and he was in the Philistine temple where they were all worshiping. And he prayed to God, let me pull down these, temple, these walls. And he pulled down the temple and took his own life. And the Bible says that he killed more people in his death than he did in his life. He believed God. And he never faced the Philistine army without absolute courage and without absolute dependence upon God. But he did it not in his own strength. 
Not in his own power, not in his own ability, but faith in God who gave him the power, God who gave him the strength, God who gave him the ability. He had faith in God that he could accomplish these great things. It's tragic. It's tragic that so many people talk about faith. They talk about believing God. They have faith in God, but they never exhibit any amount of faith. It's tragic when we never do that in our own life. It's tragic when we don't, we don't do that in, in, a, in a church. And instead, we just continue to do the same things over and over and over. And we never can experience anything by faith because we're trusting what we can do and not what God can do. So many times, you know it's true. We see it in our own lives. We see it in our lives and we see it in the lives of churches across this great land where we live. Now, look, Samson was not perfect. Samson had many flaws. But his faith in God equipped him to do great things. Third person I want to look at in this list is a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges, but he was the first of the prophets. He didn't fight any battles. He didn't lead Israel into armies, a great victory. But what he did is he stood up against idolatry and he stood up against immorality. He stood up in the midst of a polluted society and he spoke truth. As a matter of fact, that might be more difficult. I've thought about it several times. You know, we've done some things in our church, uh, you know, for the past few years. You know, we changed outer stage. Remember that? You remember what the stage used to look like? We changed outer stage. Some people didn't know it, believe it would work, but it worked. Uh, we uh, redid the foyer in the front, took out that old red carpet, redid the foyer. We added some bathroom. Can you believe that bathrooms would be, have been missing in this church for 40-something years? We added some bathrooms just so that people could get up and make it to the potty on time, all right? I mean, we won't be, you know, we won't be those little kids in T-ball, you know, and have accidents. So uh, we put them in there. And, and then just recently, we, we did all this garden wing over there. You know, those things are easy. They're easy. They don't really require a lot of faith. I mean... It's something you can get in there, you do a little demolition, you, you do a little, a little construction, it looks good. You know what's hard to do? Move a church. You know what's hard to do? Move a church from where it is to where it needs to be. You know what the definition of a leader is? Can I tell you what the definition of a leader is? A leader is someone who takes the people where they need to go, not where they want to go. If you wanted to go there, you wouldn't need a leader. God knew that with the children of Israel. That's why he raised up judges. That's why he raised up leaders to get the people of Israel moving, to get them going in the direction they needed to go. That's what Samuel was there doing. Samuel was proclaiming, he said, move away from idolatry, move away from immorality, move away from these things and move to God. Turn back to God. He had to stand by his convictions, Samuel did. All these individuals we talked about, and the ones not mentioned, all the ones, all the way back to Hebrews 11, verse 1, all these individuals believed in God, and their faith equipped them to do great things. But without God, they could do nothing. But with God, with God, it says in the Bible, they conquered kingdoms, and they administered justice. With God, they were able to do that. And as you think of your life, and you think of the challenges that exist in your life, maybe the challenges that exist for us as a body of believers, 
And we say, there's no way we can perform great things. There's no way we can do those things. I know what you're saying. I say the same thing. Well, well sure, God worked like that in Bible times. But I doubt if he works like that now. Let me ask you a question. Is the God of, of Samson and the God of Gideon and the God of Samuel not the same God today? Is the, is, is the God that performed the miracles and the God that performed the things by the faithfulness of men in the Old Testament not the same God today? My Bible says he's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He does not change. So what happens? If he doesn't change, what happens? People change. People lose their faith. They, they lose their love. Jesus said about, about the church. I can't remember. I think it's the church at Ephesus. He says, he says, oh, you're doing all these great things. But I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. You've lost it. God is alive. God is well. And God has the same power today as he did then. And he can equip his saints to do great things if they will have faith. We need to quit looking at things through human eyes. And we need to start looking at things through the eyes of God. We need to start looking at that things through spiritual eyes. The writer of Hebrews writes these, these words to fan in the flames our own faith. To encourage us to move mountains. To overcome obstacles. He said you got to trust a God who is able. you got to trust him. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I don't want you to think that if you do that, everything's going to be easy. That everything's just going to be fine and everything's going to go the way you think it should. It does say in this passage that some people, they had faith and they were delivered from life and death situations. Some of them were spared from the lions. We know who that's talking about. Some of them were spared from the fire. We know who that's talking about. Some of them were spared from the sword of the enemy. But not everyone was spared. Some of them did not make it. That's why the transition in verse 35 is so important for us to understand. Not every person of faith experienced deliverance from the difficulties of life. Not every person experienced, experienced deliverance from problems and trials and struggles. That's why we see the next part. Faith equips us to endure hardship. Faith equips us to endure hardship. Look at verse 35. The second part. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. This word used here for tortured is a specific torture. It's, it's the phraseology in the Greek uh, that says it's a, a torture of a specific kind. And the kind of torture it talks about is a kind of torture where they placed an individual on a wheel. And they tied his arms and his legs on the wheel. And then they would beat him mercilessly with clubs. And all they had to do was recant. All they had to do was deny their faith in God and turn from the holiness of God and recant. They refused to do so. He said, we will not reject our faith. Why? Because they had hoped for a better resurrection. They knew that God was able to resurrect them. They knew that God was able to do something better in their life. Their faith equipped them to endure hardship. Look at verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. 
they were ridiculed. They were made a public spectacle and they faced criticism in their own life. I imagine as the Hebrew readers were reading this passage, maybe they thought about their own people who were enduring prison, who were suffering because of their faith. And the writer of Hebrews said, man, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. He said, you're not the first one to have to go through this and you won't be the last. Look at the example of the others. And if we're honest, if we're honest, this is probably one that hits us a little closer to home. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid of a little criticism, a little ridicule. Somebody might make us the butt of all their jokes. We refuse to stand up for biblical truth because we are afraid of what people might think or worse, what they might say. Example, we recently had an administrative council team to vote about, the, about a certain church in our association. What were we going to do about this church who we did not believe was standing for biblical truth? And so we said they are no longer in cooperation with us as an association. And so just to kind of get a feel for the administrative council because we're going to give them the authority to remove this church, uh, people said we need, to, we need to take a vote and see who this is. I want to take a secret ballot. I said, you don't need to take a secret ballot. I'll tell you right now what we need to do. I raised my hand and said, I vote to remove them. Everybody else took a little secret ballot. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're standing on biblical truth, you should never, ever have to take a secret ballot. Never. You shouldn't have to. Now, the vote turned out eight to two to remove them. And we didn't remove them because we didn't have the authority at that moment. But it's kind of one of those pre-vote before you get to the real vote. I guess you could say it was the primary election before you get to the real election. Biblical truth. But sometimes we're afraid to stand up for biblical truth because somebody might make fun of us or ridicule. Listen, if you, if you believe you're right and you believe you're standing for biblical truth, you should not have to hide behind a vote. You stand up. If you're right or you're wrong, you stand up because you believe it's to be true. That's what we said. Look at verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. Some of these people of faith experienced death. Their faith equipped them to endure hardship. I recently heard a testimony from one of the survivors of First Baptist Church, Sutherland Springs. Perhaps you heard, perhaps you heard it. This is kind of a, a synopsis of what she said. She said, we were laying on the floor when the shooter came into the, came into the church and began shooting everybody that was on the phone, calling 911. Began shooting. And he came next to a woman next to me. I, was, I held her hand, and I said, you don't have to fear. You're about to go to heaven. And he shot her. And then he came to me next. And at that moment, I began praying, take me to heaven. God, take me to heaven. Now, we, we, that lady survived. We do not know about the other lady. But here's the point. Their faith in God equipped them to endure hardship. Their faith in God equipped them to die because they knew there was something better waiting for them. They knew there was a greater resurrection. They knew there was something beyond this life that we have. These individuals were tortured. They were ridiculed. They were killed for their faith. 
And it says that some of them lived a life of poverty. Look at verse 37. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Verse 38. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Do you get the picture? I mean, do I have to go back and tell you what all these mean? Do you get the picture? They were poor. They were destitute. They lived a life of poverty. This is who these individuals were. And the worlds looked at these individuals and they judged them to be unworthy. They judged them to be unworthy, so, so they persecuted them. They inflicted hardship upon them. They imprisoned them. They, they, they persecuted them. They even had some of them killed. But God says, the world's not worthy of them. But God said, but I commend them for their faith. I commend them for their faith. All these were commended for their faith. What an amazing commendation from God. The world may not see it the way that God sees it, but in the end, the only judgment that counts is God's judgment. That's the only one that matters. And by faith, these saints of old suffered hardship. These veterans of our faith suffered hardship, but they gained God's divine approval. One more truth will be done. Faith equips us to embrace our salvation. Faith equips us to embrace our salvation. Look at verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were commended even though they didn't receive it. They were commended for their faith, not so much by what they believed, but by the way their belief affected their life, by the way their faith affected the way they lived. In every scenario, their belief required action. They believed God said something, and they put it into action. Everything they did. Listen, folks, it's the same way with us. If we say we believe God, but we don't ever do anything to put in action, you better go back and see if you really believe God. You got to put your faith in action. People of, these were people of faith, and their faith was evident by what they accomplished. Now, some didn't accomplish as much as others. You know, some of them had a long history. You can go back and look at them. I mean, we just preached a whole series on David. They got many chapters in the Bible written about them. Some of them just have three or four verses written about them. But nevertheless, they were all commended for their faith. These Old Testament saints serve as an example for the Hebrews. They serve as an example for you and me. You see, what was going on when you read the entire book of Hebrews? The Hebrews were being tempted to abandon their faith in Jesus Christ. They were being tempted to, to, to walk away from Christ, to walk away from salvation, to walk away by, from salvation by faith, through, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Instead of embracing their salvation in Jesus Christ, they were wanting to return to religion. They wanted to return to ritual. They wanted to return to, to regulations and to restrictions. That's where they wanted to return. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't abandon your faith. Use these Old Testament saints. Use these Old Testament heroes of the faith to challenge you to remain faithful. To keep being faithful. And then we see the connection in verse 40. Look at verse 40. 
God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. All of a sudden he changes. He goes from the Old Testament saints he says, and he goes to us. He goes to the, modern, to the Hebrews and he also goes to the modern day reader. He says we are connected to these men of faith. We are connected to these Old Testament men of faith. But it's different. Our faith is different than their faith. But it's still faith. You see, in the Old Testament, go back and read the entire book of Hebrews. They looked forward with anticipation to a high priest that would be greater than the Levitical priest. That they looked forward to, to a covenant that would no longer be written on tablets of stone, but be written on the hearts of man. They looked forward to, to, to a greater sacrifice that would be greater than the sacrifices of lambs and goats and doves. They looked forward to a greater sacrifice. They looked forward to a greater country whose hands were not built by human hands. They looked forward to that. So they looked forward to Christ. They looked forward to Jesus Christ. And because they looked forward to Jesus, it affected the way they lived their life. It affected the way that they lived by faith. So by faith, they embraced the future of their salvation. And we're connected to these Old Testament saints. But it's different. You see, we look back to Christ. And we recognize we've already got a high priest greater than the Levitical priesthood. We have a high priest who serves as a mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. We look back and we recognize that we already have a new covenant that, that has now come to us through Jesus Christ as he lives his lives in us. He writes it on the hearts through faith. We already recognize that we have a newness of life that's promised to us in Jesus Christ. If we will believe in him, he says, I'll give you newness of life. We already have that because of faith in Jesus Christ. We recognize at the cross of Christ, our redemption was accomplished. Our sins were paid for. Our lives were bought with a price. Therefore, we honor God with our lives. We recognize all of those things. But here's the thing, there's still an interval between that and what we will experience. We're not there yet. We groan, we, we groan for all of creation to be restored. That's what the Bible says. By faith, well, we look forward to a time when the, when the earth will be restored. By faith, we look forward to our final experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. By faith, we look for a new heaven and a new earth. By faith, we look forward to the day when Jesus will come and he'll take us home to be with him in glory. We look forward to the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either willingly or unwillingly, but they will confess. But that day is not here yet. So we live by faith that those days will come true. That everything we experience in the past, it's not just historical. It's historical to the point where it affects our future. And so we walk by faith. 
we keep on believing. We, we keep on working. By faith, we keep moving forward. By faith, we keep serving. By faith, we endure hardships. By faith, we do great things. And we do this until Jesus calls us home. Or he comes to take us home. Faith equips us to live for Jesus on this earth today. And it equips us to live with Jesus forever. That's the kind of faith that will move mountains. That's the kind of faith that God equips us to have. That faith equips us to do great things, to endure hardships, but to embrace our salvation. Is that the kind of faith you have? Do you have faith in a God who can do exceedingly more than you even think or you can imagine? Because that's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of God I want to believe in. What about you this morning? Where are you at? I mean, ask yourself, do you really have faith? Do you? Do you have faith that God can take this group of people and move us where we need to be? I do. I never would have came here if I didn't believe that. I believe God has a purpose. I believe God has a plan. And I believe when we let go and we let God, it's only then that we will begin to see what God can do and not what we can do. I believe that with all my heart. I hope that's the kind of church you want to be a part of. I hope that's the kind of believer that you are. Look, I don't care if you're 8 or uh, 9 to 90 in this church. You can't go 8 to 80. 9 to 90, it doesn't matter. There is no time limit for serving God, for having faith. None whatsoever. We may never get to the promised land. But shouldn't we at least be pushing in that direction? Shouldn't we be at least laying the foundation for those who come behind us? And may all who come behind us Find us faithful. May we not be the ones, may we not be the ones that drop the ball for the ones that are looking to us. May it not be us. May we keep that connection strong. Strong. So that people that drive by Bosky Boulevard for the next 10, 15, 20, 50 years well, no. There's a church of faith right there on the corner of Bosky Boulevard and Fish Pond. It's a place where Jesus is magnified, a place where Jesus is Lord, and a place where people years ago ventured by faith to go into the unknown and do what they had no idea what God was going to do, but by faith they did it. That's what faith equips us to do. I hope you want to be that type of person. In a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. We won't belabor the point. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. I know pretty much everyone in here, you know where you stand as far as your relationship to Christ. My challenge to you is, are you putting that relationship into active use 
by the way you live your lives? Does it impact everything you say, everything you think, and everything you do? Because it should. Would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer? Kip's going to come and lead us. Josh's going to come up. Marcy's going to make her way up. Marilyn's going to come and play. Cassie's going to come and play.